We've all heard about stem cells. What kind of stem cells are there, and which ones have the best chance of helping cure disease? You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom, President and Chief Science Officer of Partnership for Cures, a nonprofit that drives cures to patients through repurposing current therapies for new uses. And our guest is John A. Kessler, MD, Davy Professor of Stem Cell Biology and Chairman, Davy Department of Neurology at Northwestern University Medical School in Chicago. Dr. Kessler is one of the world's leaders in stem cell research to repair central and peripheral nervous system. He joins us to talk about the biology of embryonic stem cells and neural stem cells, including defining the mechanisms regulating neuronal and glial differentiation of stem cells. Dr. Kessler, welcome to ReachMD. Thank you, Bruce, and delighted to be here. So tell us, what is a stem cell and what is a stem cell niche? A stem cell is a cell that has three properties. First of all, it's immortal. Basically, it can proliferate indefinitely. Second, it is capable of what's known as self-renewal. That is, it can make an absolute identical copy of itself. And then third, the property, of course, that makes us most excited about stem cells is that they're capable of generating all the differentiated cells in all the organs of the body. Now, stem cells exist in a very protected environment in the body that helps control its proliferation and its differentiation. This environment is known as the niche. It's made up of the surrounding cells, the extracellular matrix, and blood vessels that very, very carefully control how rapidly the cell proliferates and what types of cells it generates. What's different between that and something we might call a progenitor cell? Stem cells typically do not directly generate the mature cells and organs of the body. Instead, they generate a cell that's known as a progenitor cell, one type of which is often called a transient amplifying cell, and I think the name tells you the point of that. The stem cell actually does not typically proliferate in a very rapid way. Progenitor cells proliferate rapidly to be able to expand the potential source of cells for different organs. And it is the progenitor cells that ultimately differentiate into the mature cells in the brain, in the heart, and the various organs around the body. So you define for us what a stem cell is, but there's some descriptors that we can put on that. So what's the difference between an embryonic stem cell and an adult stem cell? To understand the difference in these cells, it's necessary to understand three large words. I promise I won't use many very big ones, but these words are totipotent, pluripotent, and multipotent. What do those words mean? A totipotent cell is a cell which by itself has the capacity to generate an entire organism, a whole embryo, the whole mature organism. A good example of a totipotent cell is a fertilized egg. A pluripotent cell is a cell which does not have the capacity to generate an entire organism, but does have the capacity to generate all the different cell types and all the organs of the body. A good example of a pluripotent cell is the embryonic stem cell. Then there are stem cells which are known as multipotent. A multipotent stem cells tend to be organ-specific, that is, that they can generate all the different cell types in a given organ, but they do not have the capacity to generate cell types in all the other organs. Typically, these are known as quote-unquote adult stem cells in the lay literature, but in fact, 
Multipotent stem cells are present in the embryo, the neonate, and the adult. They are an intermediate step between the embryonic stem cell and ultimately mature cells in all the organs of the body. So recent studies have demonstrated that adult skin cells can be changed into pluripotent cells. Are these cells identical to embryonic stem cells, and is it now advisable to stop working with the blastocyst-derived embryonic stem cells? You just asked a question about a truly exciting set of studies that have really revolutionized our field. The dogma in the past was that once cells differentiated, it was not possible to have them, quote-unquote, de-differentiate back to an earlier state. Well, we first knew that that was probably not the case uh, when we looked at something called somatic cell nuclear transfer, sometimes called therapeutic cloning, in which the nucleus was taken out of a cell and put into an egg cell, and that nucleus could be reprogrammed. That told us, in fact, that it was probably then possible, at least in theory, to take an adult cell and convert it back into a stem cell. A year ago, Dr. Yamanaka, an investigator in Japan, demonstrated with mouse cells that it was possible to take a skin cell and by simply putting in four genes, convert it back to a cell that had many properties similar to that of an embryonic stem cell. More recently, Dr. Yamanaka and also Dr. Thompson at the University of Wisconsin demonstrated with human cells that it was possible to do this. Now, both authors of these studies were very careful to point out that while these cells were similar to the embryonic stem cell, they were not absolutely identical to the embryonic stem cell. And we do not yet know whether these differences are going to be important or whether the differences that we're seeing are are really relatively unimportant ones in terms of thinking about using these cells for clinical purposes. It's very clear that the gold standard for this field is the embryonic stem cells that are derived from blastocysts and will absolutely be necessary for us to continue to work with both types of cells, the regular embryonic stem cells and these cells which we call induced pluripotent cells to determine the similarities and the differences. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Bloom, and I am speaking with John A. Kessler, MD, Davy Professor of Stem Cell Biology and Chairman, Davy Department of Neurology at Northwestern University Medical School in Chicago, about the promise of stem cells. So if it was true that these pluripotent cells we were able to create had all the properties of embryonic stem cells, would that end the ethical debate about using embryonic stem cells in research? Well, it's rather interesting. I think it would end one set of ethical issues, but ultimately bring up entirely different sets of ethical issues. I think that if, for example, it turns out these cells are equal to the embryonic stem cell, the normal one, for clinical purposes, and if we overcome some of the obstacles that are into using them clinically, a certain kind of debate will end, namely using frozen embryos to derive embryonic stem cells. But number one, these cells will start being used for gene therapy, and many people have a lot of ethical issues about gene therapy, and some papers have already appeared demonstrating that it's possible to use these cells for gene therapy. Number two, All we have to think about is the possibility of generating a totipotent cell. Remember, I explained before, totipotent cell is by itself capable of generating an entire embryo. If it's possible to reprogram a nucleus to become pluripotent, there's no reason that we 
a priori that it might not be possible to reprogram it to become totipotent. There are those people who believe that a totipotent cell is equivalent to being a human being. The ethical debate would start all over again. So I really think that when we're in a field like this that's really pushing at the real edge of biology, the ethical issues aren't going to go away. They're just going to change. So you mentioned the obstacles that must be overcome to be able to use either embryonic stem cells or other pluripotent cells for tissue repair. What are these obstacles? Well, there are a variety of obstacles. I'll start with the embryonic stem cell because actually they will be easier to use. The embryonic stem cells by themselves, if transplanted into an individual, will form a tumor called the teratoma. So it will be absolutely necessary to find ways to be certain that teratomas can't form. In addition, it's going to be necessary to learn how to push the embryonic stem cells into specific lines of differentiation to get them to form the organ that we want. What I mean is if we want to regenerate the heart, we're going to have to find a way to make the embryonic stem cell become a cardiac myocyte. If instead we want to repair the brain, we have to find ways to make them become neurons, and not just any kind of neuron, but the specific kinds of neurons we want. Those will not be simple issues to overcome, but I think that we can all see very, very easy ways of ultimately of overcoming them. Now, the cells that are generated with the new technology have a lot of other problems. Viruses are used to insert genes, these four genes that I told you about. They insert into DNA in unclear places. You can't really control right now where they insert. So there's the possibility of interfering with normal gene function. There's the possibility of the viruses ultimately causing cancers and so forth. In addition, some of the genes that are used are themselves, quote-unquote, oncogenes. That is, they have the capacity, if they're expressed at too high a level, to form cancers. So it's going to be necessary to be able to control how much of these genes are expressed So we have a lot of additional obstacles that will have to be overcome before we could think about using these induced pluripotent cells clinically. So can we create neural stem cells from embryonic stem cells? And if so, how is this done and are those cells that we create identical to the neural stem cells that are already in the brain? Yes, it is possible to generate neural stem cells from the embryonic stem cells. A variety of different protocols have been developed. Many or perhaps most of them use retinoic acid as a means of differentiating the cells. Now, the cells that are differentiated this way have a very specific characteristics that are not typical of all the cells, both in the rostral and the caudal part of the body. Stated slightly differently, neural stem cells in the rostral part of the body are different from neural stem cells in the caudal part of the body. So the neural stem cells that we can thus far generate from embryonic stem cells represent one population of cells but not all population of neural stem cells. And we are going to have to learn how to generate neural stem cells with characteristics of different areas of the nervous system to ultimately be able to use the embryonic stem cell clinically. So do you think it's going to be possible to direct neural stem cells resident in the adult brain to repair areas of damage in the brain? And if so, what will be necessary to accomplish this? I do. This, of course, is the ultimate dream of the stem cell biologist, that we will not have to do transplantation at all, but instead we can go ahead and harness the stem cells that are in the brain and use them to repair damage. To do this, we are going to understand, number one, what is the stem cell niche that I spoke about at the beginning of this session that regulates the stem cell, how we can overcome the controls in the niche to make the stem cells proliferate 
how we can make them generate the specific cells that we want, and then perhaps most important, how we can get those cells to migrate to the areas of damage. Each of these steps will require a substantial amount of work to overcome that obstacle, but I believe that each one of these obstacles can be overcome and that ultimately when we think about regenerative neurology, we'll think about treating patients to utilize the stem cells that are already present in the adult brain to repair the brain. So where are we in our search for stem cells to cure disease? I want to thank our guest, John A. Kessler, MD, David Professor of Stem Cell Biology and Chairman of the Davy Department of Neurology, Northwestern University Medical Center in Chicago, for talking to us about these critical research and ethical issues. I'm attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom, President and Chief Science Officer of Partnership for Cures. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your questions and comments. Please visit us at ReachMD.com, where you will find our new on-demand and podcast features that will allow you access to our entire program library. And thank you for listening.